Hello and welcome back to the adventures of Lola Badiola. In the last chapter, we learned a little bit more about the professional lives of Park J. Bong and Kim Day Won. In this episode, we're going to learn a little bit more about their personal lives outside of the Ministry of Information. So let's get straight back to the story. The Adventures of Lola Badiola Chapter 17 The Girl with the Almond Eyes Park and Kim caught the bus outside the Ministry of Security Affairs. It was a 45-minute journey to their apartment block in the Chunghua district of the city. They passed through the Arch of Triumph and across the Taedong River, and then headed down the Pyongyang Highway towards the south of the city. There was never much traffic, but they were often delayed by people on bicycles, horse-drawn carts and government checkpoints. The most common problem they encountered on their journey home was the bus breaking down. It was a diesel vehicle built in China in the 1980s, and it had a completely unreliable transmission system. Every time the driver changed gear, it sounded like the bottom of the bus was about to collapse. Park looked out of the window at the grey functional apartment blocks that lined the highway. Everything was uniform. All the buildings looked exactly the same. He couldn't help but imagine what it would be like to travel on a bus outside of London, passing cottages with their thatched roofs, mansions with their iron gates, and bungalows where all the old western people moved into when they retired. There was no property ladder in North Korea. The government simply allocated you an apartment, and that was where you lived and eventually died. His thoughts turned to the upcoming attack on Banco Cantabrico. He had breached their security systems on several occasions in the past, but never progressed very far. They always managed to kick him out before he could do any damage. The bank had multiple layers of defence, and reaching the sensitive information at its core was like peeling an infinite onion. He thought again about Nuria Nueno and her presentation at the AGM. He marvelled at the fact that a woman could have so much power and influence. The Workers' Party in North Korea actively promoted gender equality for the good of the economy, but everyone knew that a woman's place was at home. He remembered the old Korean saying, It is bad for the house when the hen sings and the cockerel is silent. As always, sitting next to Park on the bus was Kim, who was focused on the task of creating an aeroplane out of a blank sheet of paper. He had many talents, and one of them was origami. The paper aeroplane that he was constructing not only looked exactly like a B-52 bomber, it flew like one too. Kim stood up in his seat at the back of the bus and aimed the aeroplane at a young woman at the front. He gently propelled the model forward through the air, and it sailed across the heads of all the other passengers, landing perfectly in the lap of the intended recipient. The young woman picked up the paper aeroplane and read the message that Kim had written on its wings. She looked behind her, searching for the person who had sent her the message. 
Kim waved to her to catch her attention, and then he pointed at Park. Park was, as always, lost in his thoughts about work. He was, after all, the world's greatest hacker, feared by companies around the world, revered by the underground hacking community, wanted by the FBI, the CIA, the NSA. His daydream was interrupted by the presence of a woman in the aisle of the bus standing next to him. She was staring at him with quiet determination. She had porcelain skin and almond eyes. For a few seconds, the two of them just looked at each other in silence. Park was mesmerized by this mysterious apparition. The woman leaned forward and gave Park the paper aeroplane. She nodded, then turned around and walked back to her seat. Park looked down at the model and read the message that was written on the wings. Meet me at Chunghua Park this evening at 8pm. The bus noisily changed gear and headed over the Taedong River towards the south of the city. It took a moment for Park to figure out what was going on. Then his heart skipped a beat and his face turned as red as the Chinese flag. Next to him, Kim was doing his best to keep a straight face. Park J. Bong may be the world's most feared and respected cyber criminal. But when it comes to women, he's not such an expert. Thank goodness he has Kim day one to push him in the right direction. Okay, let's start off with a review of compound number adjectives. One of the most mistaken grammar points in business English. Have a listen to this again. It was a 45-minute journey to their apartment block in the Chunghua district of the city. A journey of 45 minutes is a 45-minute journey. To create the compound number adjective, you need to add a dash between the 45 and the minute. And crucially, you need to remove the S from minutes. Likewise, a meeting of 10 minutes is a 10-minute meeting. Okay, here we go. Your turn. Complete these sentences. A journey of 200 kilometers is a 200-kilometer journey. A hotel with three stars is a three-star hotel. A turkey that weighs eight kilos is an eight kilo turkey. Okay, you get the idea. No S at the end of compound number adjectives. Let's move on. Listen to this again. There was no property ladder in North Korea. The government simply allocated you an apartment and that was where you lived and eventually died. Okay, so the property ladder is a series of steps in home ownership. From the bottom to the top. From the small to the big. I got on the property ladder when I was 28 years old. I bought a small flat in the centre of London. And then when I got married to Marina, we moved up 
one step in the property ladder. We sold the flat and we bought a small terraced house away from the centre of London. Then, when we had kids, we took the next step on the property ladder. We sold our small house and bought a slightly bigger one. So that is us moving up the property ladder. And we were lucky because the whole time we were moving up the property ladder, prices were rising. And this meant that when we sold one property, we had a cash deposit to put down on a bigger property. Now, house prices have risen so much over the last generation that this process is simply not possible for young people anymore. Getting onto the property ladder and moving up it, just like we did, is a serious challenge for millennials. Now, speaking of properties, have a listen to this sentence again. He couldn't help but imagine what it would be like to travel on a bus outside of London, passing cottages with their thatched roofs, mansions with their iron gates, and bungalows where all the old Western people moved into when they retired. Okay, here's a quick vocabulary quiz based on properties. What do you call a huge, luxurious house? It begins with M. It is, of course, a mansion. What do you call a detached house with everything on one floor? It's very popular with old retired people in the UK. And it begins with B. It is a bungalow. What do you call a house that is attached to other similar houses on either side in a row? It begins with T, and we call it a terraced house. And finally, what do you call a posh apartment on the top floor of a tall building, normally with a terrace? It begins with a P. It is, of course, a penthouse. And if you have bought a penthouse, then you have officially arrived at the top of the property ladder. Okay, last week we introduced the theme of gender inequality in business. Let's continue that discussion after we've listened to these phrases. He thought again about Nuria Nueno and her presentation at the AGM. He marveled at the fact that a woman could have so much power and influence the Workers' Party in North Korea actively promoted gender equality for the good of the economy, but everyone knew that a woman's place was at home. So how do you promote gender equality? How do you make sure that men and women have an equal and fair chance of succeeding in the business world? In the last episode, we pointed out that the number of women who were working as CEOs of the top 100 public companies in the UK was eight. Eight percent of CEOs are women, 92 percent are men. This feels extremely unbalanced. 
So how do we promote gender equality in leadership roles? How do we encourage more women to become CEOs of public companies? Well, first of all, we need to ask ourselves, what is our ultimate objective here? What is our number? In other words, under conditions of perfect equality of opportunity between the genders, what proportion of CEOs of the top 100 public companies would be women? Is the ratio one-to-one? Is it a 50-50 split? Would a perfectly gender-neutral and equal society lead to 50% of large public companies being run by women and 50% being run by men? Or is it natural for the proportion of male CEOs to be higher than women? Or is it natural for the proportion of women CEOs to be higher than men? What is our objective? What is our number? Now often when people debate gender inequality, they will default to the objective of 50-50. That is the ratio that implies gender equality. But hang on a sec, because there are some professions and certain roles that are totally dominated by men. And there are other professions and there are other roles that are totally dominated by women. So think about it. Which professions are totally dominated by men? Has your car ever been serviced by a female mechanic? Has the electrician visiting your house ever been a woman? Has the plumber? Well, these are three professions that are completely dominated by men. Here are the statistics. They are quite startling. In the UK, 99.2% of vehicle mechanics are men. 98.2% of electricians are men. 98.1% of plumbers are men. This is a rounding error. It's almost 100%. You are not far from saying all mechanics, all electricians and all plumbers are men. Now, in a world of completely equal opportunity, how many women mechanics should there be? How many women electricians and plumbers should there be? Should it be 50-50%? Should we be encouraging women to become plumbers? Okay, let's look at it from another perspective. Which professions are totally dominated by women? Have a think about it. Well, have you ever walked into a primary school? Have you ever taken your kids to ballet class? Because 97.8% of school nurses are women. 95.1% of childminders are women. 89.6% of dancers and choreographers 
are women. In a world of completely equal opportunity, how many men should be school nurses, childminders, and choreographers? Should it be 50-50? Should we be encouraging men to become choreographers? You see, the thing is, men and women are wired differently. We have both physical and psychological differences, and these differences are manifest in our career choices. In general, women don't want to be plumbers. There is simply not as strong a psychological desire to be a plumber as there is to be a nurse. Just like, in general, men don't want to be childminders. There is simply not as strong a psychological desire to become a childminder as there is to become an electrician. So let's go back to the initial point. When we talk about gender equality in business, what is our objective? What is our number? Is it 50-50? Or is it something else, depending on the industry and depending on the role? Because there are both biological and cultural reasons for gender inequality. Some inequality is natural, and some is unnatural. Disentangling the two is a difficult but necessary process. And once again, I recommend that you read Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg, COO of Facebook, for an excellent analysis of the causes and the potential solutions for gender inequality in the business world. Okay, let's move on. Let's test your knowledge on some common abbreviations. Listen to these sentences again. He was, after all, the world's greatest hacker, feared by companies around the world, revered by the underground hacking community, wanted by the FBI, the CIA, the NSA. So if you've watched any US movies, you will have heard these abbreviations. The FBI, the CIA, the NSA. But what do they mean? What do they actually stand for? FBI. What is it? The Federal Bureau of Investigation. The CIA. What is it? The Central Intelligence Agency. The NSA. The National Security Agency. Okay, here are some more important institutions. I'm sure you've heard these abbreviations too. But what do they mean? The UN. That, of course, is the United Nations. The EU. That is the European Union. And finally, the IMF. The International Monetary Fund. 
Okay, so it's good to know what these abbreviations stand for and also make sure that you're pronouncing them like native English speakers because sometimes people get the pronunciation of specific letters confused. We have the FBI, the CIA, the NSA, the UN, the EU and the IMF. Okay, one last expression before we end today's session. It's an expression that I use a lot because it happens to me frequently. It took a moment for Park to figure out what was going on. Then his heart skipped a beat and his face turned as red as the Chinese flag. His heart skipped a beat. Well, to skip means to jump over, to miss out. So if your heart skips a beat, it means that it misses out a regular beat. Now, if you feel like your heart has suddenly skipped a beat, it may mean that you're having heart palpitations, in which case this is a health issue that you probably need to address. But in this sense, the expression is used to indicate surprise, excitement or nervousness. So when was the last time you had that strange sensation in your chest? When was the last time your heart skipped a beat? And with that final question, we come to the end of today's class. If you'd like more formalized business English classes, we can provide that for you. Just search Club Grattan on Google and you will find us. Until we meet again, keep practicing. And we sincerely hope that you enjoyed this 20-minute podcast. <laughs>